Hey sis, welcome to The Growth Season with BWP and P&G. In this episode, we're joined by Yasmin O'Neill. Yasmin is a brand director at P&G and currently the brand leader for Olay and Old Spice. She combines her creative flair and business acumen to build brands that aren't only market leaders, but are also committed to helping move society forward. In her previous role as the brand leader on Aussie, she signed presenter Maya Jama to be the first celebrity face of the brand, bringing fresh diversity to the historical image of Aussie hair care. She is currently leading the work on Olay's diverse advertisement campaign, hashtag face anything, featuring brand ambassadors Lady Leisha and athlete Jasmine Sawyers, and raises money for the Young Woman's Trust. Yasmin was also featured in Campaign Magazine's Faces to Watch 2020 for being a trailblazer in the advertising industry. She will be in conversation with Casilda Augusto Rodriguez. Casilda is a final year management and Spanish student at the University of Warwick. She's a TEDx speaker and through her YouTube channel Cast Speaks, she covers all things careers, university and lifestyle, whilst also being an avid competitive dancer and a spoken word poet. In this conversation, we're going to learn how to dream big when carving out your career path and then find the first step. So shall we get into some of the questions and kind of get into it? So are you doing what you thought you'd be doing 10 years ago? And um, talk to us a little bit around that cast because it's helpful to hear what you're doing now, if it's different and what your thoughts are. Um, To an extent, I'm doing what I thought I would be doing. Um, so I, when I was a lot younger, um, I wanted to be some sort of like actress or singer or something in, you know, the entertainment industry. That was kind of one side of what I wanted to do as a job. And then another side of what I wanted to do was I wanted to work in some form of office. Like I didn't know what office, but I just knew I wanted to be behind like a computer, um, just kind of like typing away and at my own desk, that sort of thing. I always knew that that's the type of environment I wanted to be in if I wasn't, you know, a celebrity. And then obviously like moving into how I've gotten to university, obviously studying business. I'm kind of getting there, you know. Um, I recently actually got an offer for a summer internship doing operations at Goldman Sachs, which is really, really exciting. So I guess I will be, you know, in the office environment. God willing that we actually do get to get into offices this summer and it's not online and virtual again, but we'll see about what happens by then um but yeah I, th- I don't know I think it's kind of like a cross because I definitely am still performing at uni been part of the dance society since I was in first year which was classical modern dance competed with them I'm now also joined cheerleading which is really cool so I think I still have stuck to my passions and the things that I like definitely on the performing side and the creative side but career wise I've definitely gone down the more corporate route but I do definitely still enjoy both just as much as I did when I was younger so and that's interesting that you had the two different routes that you were thinking about but they're actually very different pathways why do you think you had the split like one being a dancer and one being office why do you think not one would satisfy everything that you that you were interested in do you know what I think I've always been somebody that was an academic I really loved school I loved learning I was a very competitive child as well. So I think in terms of just like career aspirations, I knew that I would want to, I don't know, like use my brain. Like I would want to be stimulated in a job. And not saying that like in the creatives, I'm not stimulated, but it uses definitely a different side of the brain. And it's far more, 
I'd say like an outlet of creativity for me and it's just a time where I can just like have fun and enjoy myself and I don't have to think too much and I think I've always kind of had that like I loved being in school and I loved getting pushed and I don't know doing tests and getting my marks back like it was always something that was really you know I don't know very nerdy of me but very exciting for me but then yeah I always have loved being physical love being active performing and that sort of thing and I think it's just a testament to my character like I'm very much so confident and talkative and creative so I like a bit of both and I don't think I'll ever stop liking both even if I work in a full-time in an office I know that in some way shape or form I'll probably continue in some sort of creative activity whether it's just like once a week but just some of it definitely Mm. and they they often do say don't they that if you make your hobby your nine to five then sometimes it sucks the love out of it whereas if you can find a job that you still love but you keep your hobby as your passion outside of work that's quite a nice balance of having both aspects in your life yeah but what about you what did you think you were going to be doing now when you were younger did you have the same kind of dreams and aspirations for your career like where has life taken you yes it's it's a big question really isn't it to really cast your mind back as well so 10 years ago for me I would have been 19 years old so just in my second year of uni and probably didn't have a clue about what I really wanted to do in in 10 years time. Um, I knew I loved nightclubs. I knew I <laughs> loved like partying a lot at, at uni. And I remember one of my good friends, Charlie from uni and I, we ran this club night on a Thursday and we were both managers of the club night. And I was thinking to myself, maybe I'll, that's what I'll do when I'm older. I'll, I'll run nightclub scenarios um, or events. But whenever people came to the door, they would always assume that Charlie was the manager of the night and I was the waitress. So it would automatically pigeonhole us or categorize us like that. Yeah. And this was like a common um, reoccurrence. And I remember thinking to myself, how do I prove to all of these people that have these like these um pre premeditated opinions of who I am and what I'm what I'm what I stand for yeah so then when I looked at what I wanted to do for a job I thought okay what can I where can I work that gives me pride that where I'm proud to work for a company where I'm really making a difference like you were saying as well Cass that I can hold true value against so I started to investigate in what type of roles and what type of companies and that's how I ended up with Procter and Gamble and working in sales and marketing so actually I've done a bit of both in Procter and Gamble so to answer your question no I don't think I'm doing what I thought I would be doing 10 years ago because I thought I'd be working in nightclubs which I loved but kept that as my passion and my hobby at the weekends and have found something that gives me more satisfaction and allows me to throw up a bit of a um what's the phrase you know when you I guess defying expectations and proving people wrong the ones that I haven't even spoken to that don't expect that much from black women mixed race women in society so every day I feel like I walk into my job and (laughs) I feel like I'm a good brand and sales director for these two massive multi-billion multi-million dollar companies and I feel like that's proving everyone wrong who didn't expect that much from me. I love that. I love that. And just kind of like hopping back to your experience in uni and people automatically assuming that the boy was the manager and you being the waitress. How did you react to those situations and how do you think you kind of dealt with that? Did it affect your self-esteem in any way at the time? Mm, I'd be wrong to say it didn't affect my self-esteem or it didn't have an effect on me because the effect it had is first of all anger and frustration 
So as it on the first couple of times it happened, I was actually a bit confused. Like, is there something that I'm saying or doing or wearing that gives you this impression of me of being not as senior or as not in control as my partner, Charlie? Um, but then after a while, I realized no matter what I was wearing or saying or how they approached the, the door of the nightclub, they were always going to pigeonhole me into being a lower importance to Charlie. Yeah. So I guess there's there's two things I did is number one is got rid of the anger and frustration from the from an external perspective. I just internalized it and sort of tried to own it in a positive way. And I let everyone know. So I let Charlie know it was happening. He was aware and he was a great amplifier and supporter of me. So if anyone came up and sort of tried to talk to him over me, he would say, well, you know, Yasmin and I make these decisions together and Yasmin and I and he, we worked as a team. Um, you don't always have people that are going to amplify and support you. I guess you also need to assert yourself in a in a way that comes across as in control, as very um, knowledgeable and asserting your own presence in the room. I think there's a lot of this about asserting presence at the moment without, and I know this is is important, without coming across too strong. Um, and I, that phrase, as soon as I said it, it kind of it makes me feel a bit nervous because being too strong is always associated with black and, and mixed race women. But I think there is a delicate way, a delicate fine balance of we can still be strong, um, strong women, but get what we want out of a situation. Yeah, it makes sense. Definitely makes sense. I think it's it's one of those annoying kind of situations that not just women, but us as black women have to experience. Um, and navigating those situations actually isn't as easy as you may think. And people really don't realize how those things can take a toll on your self-esteem and mm. just your sense of self-worth because why must you automatically assume that I'm inferior to like a man that's next to me it's quite you know it's annoying but I think it's also a growing experience and I think if anything you probably came out of that like knowing that okay like when I'm in a when I'm in a position of authority or I've been given some sense of responsibility like really own it and show people that I'm deserving to be here so to an extent I think it is a growing thing yeah and I think it's important that women in power black women in power do share that these stories do happen to them and have happened to them so that we can all kind of unite in this shared experience yeah um it also makes people aware I mean we do a lot of unconscious bias training um in P&G and in the wider industry because if it does happen like I've had it before not not in Procter and Gamble but I walked into um a room and I remember someone thought I was the coffee girl um instead of I was actually the 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 sort of the manager on that account and that is crazy I was the client and um it, it's not that isolated experience if I relayed that one experience to someone they might be oh well that's not that important but if you back that experience up against years and years and years of being like uh prejudged before you've even walked in the room then it, it's just a straw that broke the camel's back isn't it it's it's all of those things together have you experienced that as well Cass in any way I think far less um, in an overt way like that. I think far more those experiences that kind of just like micro, like microaggressions, like maybe somebody speaking to you slightly differently um, and you just kind of notice those little changes in tone or changes in language and you can just sense it. I think it's those ones, but 
the sort of person that I am I just don't I just don't take it at all like you'll know who I am within the first few moments of speaking to me and you'll stop that because (laughs) I just won't have people just looking at me and then prejudging me and then consequently acting as if I'm lesser like because I know that I'm not so I think in those sort of situations I just you know I'm very much so myself but assertive in in the sense that I am I am worthy to be here so don't think that I'm any lesser than you are because at the at the end of the day we've both made it here so in like a university context or in an internship context where I'm faced with other people maybe people that are like white male so automatically they kind of think yeah this is where like I'm meant to be this is kind of like our field if you think finance that sort of thing you do kind of get that that ego that comes off of on them and it's it's like you can sense it but I think when you've both worked as hard to get there you don't kind of entertain that sort of tone and that sort of thing and you just prove yourself worthy and then soon they'll realize actually yeah like she is really smart or like she's definitely worthy to be here and you can prove them wrong. Mm. What do you think about people because if you're naturally quite strong and assertive and you have a really strong self-worth then you can very easily rise above it but what about people that maybe it does affect them and to the point where they really struggle to move past it? They don't have that strong sense. What What would you say for them, Cass? I think one of the most important things to remember when you're put into those sort of scenarios is the fact that you've both been in the same boat in order to get there. So if you're thinking, okay, like, it's a university scenario you both did your a-levels you both got through UCAS and you both made it there which means that you're equally as worthy to be there so even if someone is making you feel that you're not you are because you're in you're literally there so I think it's just kind of like that reminder that I'm not lesser than because we literally have got here through the exact same way we've both made it so how can then I listen to somebody that is trying to make me feel like I'm less than Mm, that's so true It's, it's helpful for people to do that like take that reality check look at look at the person who's doing it LinkedIn see where they went to uni see what their credentials are versus yours I'm so, I'm sure they're very similar yeah if not the same if not lesser than and then I think there's a strong element now because the promotion of the black community and the promotion of black women is so important to a lot of companies if it's not then you should get out of that company <laughs> um but definitely at Procter & Gamble even people want to be educated on it so if that was happening to me I know that um, people I work with would would want me to share their experience and highlight what's happening here so that they can pick up, up on it and then amplify and support me in that moment which is this crucial if you can't do it yourself after you've done the reality check how can you lean on others who you know are big supporters in order to give you that extra boost too yeah I hear that and I think it's good to work in an environment where they actually do support yeah. that as well so that's it's really interesting and I think we've covered a lot of ground there in terms of where do, where what are we doing now and could we imagine ourselves being here and guess connected to that if you had no limitations and limitations being money time education what would you be doing Cass and why oh no limitations that's a good one that's a really good one um I think one thing that I think I would embark on very quickly is running my own business. Um, It's something that like, obviously I do kind of have, you know, some side hustles and that sort of thing, but I would want to produce like an actual product. One thing I really want to make is stationery. I'm such a stationery junkie. I love buying new notebooks and pens and all that sort of thing. Like, I don't know why, but it's just, oh, it just makes me feel so good inside. So I would definitely want to start some sort of stationery line 
specifically like planners and I think because I have a very specific way of organizing my time a lot of people ask me how do I organize my time and I think if I was able to collate all of that put it in a planner I think that would be something really cool to like sell to people specifically students uni students who are kind of going through the same thing I think that's something I would definitely pursue in addition to that I think I would actually love to be a teacher I've always said that in at some point in my life I probably do want to end up teaching just because I love working with young people like whilst I've been at uni I've volunteered in secondary schools and that sort of thing gone in spoken to the kids and it's just it reminds me of my experience of secondary school in sixth form which I loved like I loved school so much I sometimes I think I liked it more than uni but anyways um I love going into school so I think a long-term prospect of mine where I've always said maybe when I'm older I'll teach but I think if there was no limitations on like time and that sort of thing or even money I think I might just go into teaching because I just love working with kids I don't even know what I'll teach maybe English or maths I'm not sure but yeah probably teaching I can what about you could merge the two and being a life coach because I feel like as you say organized planning and then your life coach business would have its own stationary line to be fair, one thing that I actually do do, funny you would say, so I have a platform um, called castspeaks.com and it kind of connects to my YouTube channel. Pretty much on there, I've spoken about like um, how to navigate careers, internships, interviews, that sort of thing, um, university. And then on my website, like I offer kind of services in like organization or how to like revamp your CV or cover letter and kind of people book. And then mm. um, I just kind of go through these things with them on a like one to one basis. So I kind of do have like that coaching business already. So if I was to extend it, it would be through adding a stationary line to my website, if that makes sense. And it would collate the things that I kind of talk about into like a tangible, mm. you know, like asset that people can buy. Love it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I'm I'm bought in. Let me know when it kicks off. Send me send me an email so I can buy in. <laughs> but what would you do if you had no limitation, money, time, education? What would you do? It's an interesting one because I think against the backdrop of 2020, where we've had endless time, that we've had a little bit of time to think about what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. It's one of those questions that maybe does pop up, and I know it sounds very cringe to use those words but I do absolutely love my job people don't um, love their jobs enough I think yeah and I think it's about carving out as well within you know you might start a job and you love maybe 50 to 60 percent of it or it may be less maybe you love just 20 percent of it and it's about like d- nurturing that 20 percent so that it becomes a bigger and bigger and bigger part of your job it's never going to be a hundred percent of what you love but you can really sort of strengthen the parts that you do and learn to live with the parts that you don't but anyway move, moving on part for, before I jump into that I guess if I could be doing anything else with no limitations on sort of money and education I've always wanted to work for the government. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, ne- I nearly, I nearly applied to be and then, well, kick off my MP career when I was about twenty-two, leaving uni. Um, but maybe didn't have as much faith into what I wanted, which which political party, what my political views were, and stuff, on how that would align with the political party. And I guess Procter and Gamble was a great place where I could still explore some of those passions. Because being such a large influence over the media and the marketing industry, we still have a a big impact on people's lives and we can have quite a positive impact without maybe that political narrative that gets people distracted away from what they're trying to achieve. For example, on Aussie, um, a brand that I used to be the brand manager of, 
we did a lot in partnership with wildlife charities and trying to protect the wildlife in Australia. And my family as a whole, we're very passionate about sustainability. The brands that I work on now are Ole and Old Spice. Globally, Old Spice is doing a lot around promoting black boys through education and making sure black boys finish their education. So there are still ways that I can weave in my passion points into my job without that political distraction that I think sometimes these political parties get so wrapped up in whether they're red or blue that even if they're all arguing for the same thing, they don't manage to make much progress. Yeah. Even hearing about some of the stuff that some of these brands do, I think it's so interesting. Like your job sounds so diverse. Like it's beyond just your typical expectations of what all sales and marketing is. Like there's so much more within it that I think is quite, sounds quite fun actually. Yeah, genuinely. And I know you you talked a lot about being a leader and making an impact. But when you have these brands, if I take Olay, for example, which is the biggest skincare brand in the world, and it then has a responsibility for how it displays women in its advertising, making sure we rightfully um, reflect the women in the UK that we serve. So having, you know, the right levels of diversity, not just of race, but age and many different aspects. And then within that as well, what's what we're trying to achieve with Olay and we have a lot of science within our brand and are we thinking about how women interact with science and making sure there's enough female scientists in the world which is something we're starting to really talk about so it goes it goes from what's the right product that I can create which for women having your our faces on show 24 oh no I'm going right into why I love this this brand but (laughs) having our face on show is 24 7 when we're out and about and it's been proven that when women have skin that they're not happy with they just feel less confident so if we can make a product that makes women feel confident it's not about making them feel any different to how they are it's making them feel confident in their own skin yeah okay that's great and if we can then show all women our advertising and be inclusive okay another tick and then how can we do something that's a bit more purpose-led and have an impact on the world so it's really a full 360 and you know I'm talking the real top line stuff here we also do the nitty-gritty making sure the products get from Europe over to the UK mainland there's really nuts and bolts and supply in there as well but you really do make an impact and you feel like sometimes I come away from my job and think oh I've made a few thousand women really happy today with that have bought that product which is a nice feeling to have. Nice nice I like that and I think knowing that is a product that you guys are selling and then you can kind of see that feedback from actual people using it Mm. not just people in the office around you that have been in that creation process but actually the people that tangibly use it yeah I mean I I the one brand maybe was unsure if it was having a real positive impact on people's lives was Aussie and I worked on Aussie for two years loved that brand hair care brand and then I started getting letters through to my desk And this is people saying, you know, I had, I was in the war and I had post-traumatic stress and um, I went through therapy and found out that certain smells can bring me back from having an episode and your Aussie Miracle Nourish Three Minute Miracle has the smell that makes me come back from an episode. So I just want to say thank you for you guys for creating it. And I was like, wow, like a product that is a hair care product that he's used all his life that it reminds me reminds him of his childhood can have yeah. such a positive impact on his life and so that was a, a, a real that wow moment for me. really nice yeah <laughs> like you actually got a real story from somebody which I think that's so beautiful yeah it's about not becoming too disconnected with what you're trying to actually do we can't mm. save the world we're being a hair care brand but we can give people an amazing hair experience that is a positive makes a positive little change in their life I guess I love that 
So, I mean, that really nicely segues into the next one. What gives you joy, Cass? That is such a nice question. What gives me joy? I think kind of going off of what we've literally been talking about, I love helping people. I love seeing tangible physical impacts of things that like I've done um, to like support people, help people. So obviously um, in like mentoring and that sort of thing, having those face-to-face conversations with people, helping them with like, I don't know, a CV or a cover letter and then finding out later on in the line that they actually got the internship or the spring week or the job that gives me intense joy knowing that what I've done has actually helped somebody that I love and that kind of translates obviously I'm I um I'm an online tutor as well so I teach GCSE I'm a little bit of a level a lot of 11 plus so I think the 11 plus one I think gives me a lot of joy because it's not just the kid but it's the parents because a lot of parents are so like oh my gosh like they're really nervous about their kid and you know getting into like a grammar school like a good school and after like me supporting them finding out that they've got in it's like it's not just a win for the kid but it's a win for the family because they just feel so like it's like their first milestone I think like the first big transition because they haven't touched GCSEs or A-levels yet so I think that sort of feeling of helping somebody, helping their family, I think is really, really endearing for me. I really love that. And what else gives me joy? I don't know, just making connections with people. I think that's my big, that's my big one, whether it's through teaching, whether it's through mentoring, whether it's through just meeting new people, um, even through this conversation, I think these sort of things really do bring me joy. I love them. Mm. And what do you think about teaching? So you trying to unpick that for a second. You were saying when they get into the school, it gives not just the student joy, but the whole family joy. Mm. What? Why do you think that gives you joy in turn? I think part of it is because I know what it feels like. Like I know that when, say for example, like I've done well in school, or like I've passed an exam, I get happy. But then because I'm happy, like my parents are really happy. And it's just kind of like one of those joyous moments in the house where everyone's just like, oh, like, well done, da, 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 like lots of good vibes. And I think knowing that I can bring, like I can aid that process in another house, I think it's is really like comforting. Because when, when somebody does well, like it's always a joyous feeling, not just for the kid, but for their parents, for their siblings. So I think mm. maybe it just comes from that feeling that I've had at home of when I've done well, having that support and encouragement from family members. I think it's just such a warm feeling. Mm. I guess you can tangibly see the results that your coaching has had on another person's life as well. It makes your knowledge valuable, but an, an exponential value because, I mean, when you learn something as yeah. Cass, that's like a transfer of one, right? That's like building one person's knowledge. But if you can make your knowledge then impact a hundred students who get into school, that's a transfer of like one to t- one to a hundred. So yeah, it's exponential growth. It's pretty definitely, special. Definitely, I do love it. What would you say gives you joy? I guess there's there's a few things I've realized about myself over the last couple of months that in general what gives me joy is my spending time with my family and friends is so important to me and when I don't get it I really notice the impact of not that joy given not being present in my life um nature and sunshine it's really important like going outside for a little walk and not having that opportunity if you're stuck in a in an office block or if you're stuck in an, a certain area of London where there isn't enough nature that again can have a big impact and then the three I guess more work related for the podcast that I've been thinking about love learning new things love it get that that buzz you know when you're a kid and you do your two plus two for the first time and you realize it is four 
and you're like so proud of yourself that you've learned some new things so I guess that just extrapolates and becomes bigger you learn maybe more complex things or softer skill things or how people operate in work which is really interesting and then I love yeah. winning I love winning. <laughs> definitely whether it's a family game you know for Christmas and just charades or anything like that in the house be it winning at work and by winning I mean like my brands and businesses growing or winning can also be seeing people flourish and grow themselves I see that as like a form of my team winning and people that we work with winning but I just I bloody love winning yep I agree with that (laughs) (laughs) that's a good way to see it cool so kind of going off of that what advice would you give to somebody that is trying to find a career that works for them what would you think is the first step to get there yeah I mean firstly I think it's important to be at peace with yourself if you don't know what you want to do yet because everyone's always asking especially university students oh what are you going to do what are you going to do what are you going to do when you finish and the reality is a huge amount of us didn't know um and, and finished university still not knowing but had to go through these sort of processes of research and understanding try to investigate what different companies do what different roles within those companies do so I would as a helpful process first of all step back and start thinking what did you like doing before you were influenced by things like the economy by money by status so when you were six years old or eight years old did you like building things with bricks did you like playing doctors with your little doctor set and like caring for people what sort of things did you enjoy doing did you like going out to lo- loads of birthday parties every single weekend which if you love socializing like Cass and I both both do then probably you're, you were going to loads of birthday parties like we were um so what did you like doing before you were influenced by money and status and that should hopefully lead you in to a certain direction the next question to ask yourself is what did you care about so I care about, for example, making an impact on the world, a positive impact. I cared about defying people's expectations and having, I guess, power within the business world. And that's not power in a sort of God complex way. It was more about feeling powerful, feeling like I had enough power in the role that I did to make an impact on the people around me, on society around me. Um, so those are two two key two key questions I would ask myself I have a couple more thoughts as well but Cass what do you think about that and what would you add to that sort of initial thought process honestly yes I feel like those questions were I think really hit the nail on the head in terms of kind of how to determine what is for you I think it's so easy to get caught up in what other people are doing even going to like a university like Warwick is very renowned for brewing out and pushing out people that work in the corporate that sometimes you can forget is this actually for me and there was actually a girl in um in my uni I think she left a year or two ago and she kind of founded um like a creatives conference at the university which exposed careers in far more creative industries in tv film media sales like all of the things that weren't really pushed as much in the uni which was amazing and I think it's so easy to kind of just jump on the bandwagon of what everyone else is doing and also because it's kind of more easy and accessible because that's what everyone is doing but kind Mm. of going back to the root of what do I actually like and what are the things that I probably would want to do um I think that's a big one and I think also 
in addition, speaking to people that are in a job role that you're in have some interest in um was actually really important it was really important for me to figure out what I actually would like um when I first came into uni I had done like a week's work experience at Barclays Bank when I was like 16 and I thought yeah cool going into going into banking going into finance that's what I want to do and then um I must have done a spring week um so I did two spring weeks I did one at Goldman Sachs and I did one at HSBC and both of them had the opportunities to kind of hear from graduates, associates, people in those in certain positions um, within different divisions in the banks. And hearing from the investment bankers from both banks, there was a very big push for the kind of the culture of working extremely hard with a lot of hours. And for me, my life has always been work life balance. I feel like that's my motto because I love working, but I also do love enjoying myself. Like I cannot live if I don't have some element of enjoyment each week. Um, so I think kind of hearing that from practically from people that are doing the job, I was like, I know this cannot be for me because I know that this is something I really value. And I think it's never good to compromise something that is a core part of you, your values, what you like for a job, no matter how much it pays you. So I think for me, that was a big kind of red flag that yeah investment banking isn't for me however it did reveal other parts of the bank where it's not the same kind of work environment it's not the same hours and that kind of showed me the operation side of things which is where you know I've now got my internship in which is still within a bank so it's like I still have that interest in finance and you know I still get to work in in the environment but just with not the same working conditions I guess and we can put it like that so I think that's something that's far more me and also just kind of the job role in operations as well after speaking to somebody that came to Warwick at a careers fair um he actually worked in operations so I just picked his brain I was like tell me everything you know about mm. this I've never really heard about this but I might like it if you you know tell me more and I learned a lot about what the role actually entailed what you do day to day and I was like do you know what I really like this and that's kind of how I consolidated my you know desire to pursue the operation side of the bank rather than you know the front office side so I think it's very important to speak to people hear from people practically about what the job role is like because you'll never really know just by searching okay what is investment bank and you'll find out what it is but you won't be able to really understand the experience of a job role until you kind of hear from people that are in it mm, yeah I love that one, though, Cass. I think that's so important. Two, the two things that I would take out of what you're saying as well, because you touched on two massive points there. Number one, on talking to people and understanding what a company really does and what that role really is. So you were talking about investment banking. Um, I th- would look at the things that I've done, which is sales for a couple of years and then marketing for a couple of years. Sales, people are often like, oh, what, does, what is that? What is it? Is it, you know, cold call selling when you pick up the phone and you call different people whereas that is a type of selling whereas P&G is more sort of strategic how do you build businesses that are going to last for decades with retailers like Tesco, Rachel, Sainsbury's and so on so that's more strategic selling and then within marketing there is a whole sort of realm of, of things within there which are communication understanding consumer and so on so really doing the research that you can via LinkedIn via work experience via shadowing all of that is so important And then the second half of what you were saying, which I picked up on, which we could take a couple of seconds to talk about, is this whole matching of values. Yeah. Because I think when you find a job or a role that really works for you, it's also about making sure you're a good match for the company and the company is a good match for you. It's like 
it's like building a perfect marriage or something, isn't it? Because does that company care about work-life balance that we were touching on? Does the company care about maternity or paternity? There, there are all these aspects like purpose and values is what P&G calls them. Um, but different companies call them different things. And you have to make sure that you're not going to compromise on any of yours. And hopefully, best case scenario, they align with what that company is already trying to do. So, yeah, I think and you can you can find that on, on, on companies' websites, can't you? I mean, you, you everyone, we can all research or you can reach out and ask people that work there on LinkedIn as well and get a bit of an essence for what that company stands for and cares about. So it'd be a match made in heaven then. And kind of just tying in with that, you might have you know a job in mind but what do you do if you don't think you have the right skills for the job as of yet what do you do this is a funny one as well because if what we're talking today was for anyone maybe I'd have a certain answer but for black women in business specifically the first thing I would challenge us to ask ourselves is why don't you think you have the right skills because we often undersell ourselves I think you know you Cass, you sound very assertive and you have a real strong sense of worth, which is absolutely fantastic. But I know in many times of my career, I've really looked at that next sort of career move. I recently had a career move in, in August. And as I stepped into the world, I thought, oh, I just don't know. Maybe P&G's got it wrong. <laughs> no, Proctor and Grandma put a lot of faith in me, but maybe that faith is just completely misplaced and I'm just going to completely mess this up. <laughs> um, so we have to... I think we need to ask ourselves, why do we think we don't have the right skills? Is it more an underconfident self-esteem thing? Because if so, let's work through that. That's a different situation. But then if it is truly that we don't think we have the right skills, you know, looking at what the job requirement is saying, then um, I think it's a case of understanding what that gap is. Sometimes you can, there might be a list of 10 things that you need to do a job and you have six of them which okay, the other four you can probably pick up on the job. If you don't have any of them, so you have zero out of 10, is that really the right job for you? You can't, if you've studied uh, English at uni like I did or business like UCAS, you can't finish uni and expect to be a doctor. So (laughs) as much, I I hope that's not contradicting my first thing about make sure you have the right self-confidence in yourself, but then also make sure that the job you're applying to best fits the skills and the strengths that you've been nurturing over the last couple of years. Yeah. But then lastly, if the the gap in requirements is achievable, so you can maybe have 50% of the skills and you can learn someone on the job, then there are loads of tools available for us now. So they're online courses. Um, you can read books. It's important that we continue our education past university. There's Cass's Cass Speaks YouTube channel that we've plugged earlier. <laughs> we'll plug again, won't we, Cass? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thanks. Yep. Um, yeah, so I guess, first of all, check your self-confidence and make sure that you're not holding yourself back. Second of all, start to think about how big how um, big is that gap and how achievable it is. And then third of all, put things in place. I guess where you want to be might not be the first thing you step into. So say you wanted to be a, a marketing director at Procter & Gamble. But, you know, who does that? I don't know, me. Um, but say you wanted to do that, you might start off at doing different things, working at an agency or working in, in a creative industry or doing a work experience to enable you to take that first step towards the end goal. But you might not be at the place where you can apply for 
a job at Procter and Gamble first. I'm sure you please do apply. I think is the point. But um, uh, yeah. So that was my shameless plug, Cass. I hope you're right with that. Back to you. <laughs> no, what do no. you think you should do? <laughs> I think everything that Yaz has said definitely do do that. Um, and in addition, in terms of just kind of like your perception of your skill set is really important. And there's that really famous statistic that talks about how typically men apply for jobs that they tick less boxes for uh, more less yeah men apply for jobs they tick less boxes for and women are only likely to apply for jobs where they literally tick like minimum nine out of ten of the requirements for the role whereas men are far more willing to apply for a job that they don't actually have you know the long list of everything is required so I think that just is also a thing of just kind of be bold new application sometimes you might get it sometimes you might not but don't let you know that big long list scare you of all the things they say you might need because typically a lot of the time especially when you're younger firms are looking for people that they can grow that they can teach that they can get along with that could blend well within a team if they can see that in an individual even though you might not have every single thing that they ask for they you can still get it so I think be fearless as well when you're thinking about going into these opportunities. Um, and if you don't think you have the right skills, honestly, um, try hone some of them in, some of the additional ones. Some of them are not too hard to gain if it's you don't have enough knowledge. Join the societies that kind of like literally talk about that thing. If you want to go into consulting, you have no clue about consulting. Join your university's consulting society. Watch YouTube videos. There's so many ways nowadays that you can refine yeah, your skills. Yeah, that's so true. There are there are a lot of tools available aren't there resources I mean people want to empower students students are the future you guys are the future you're the future Cass <laughs> no wrecking <laughs> no pressure yeah no pressure and our penultimate question if you could write a book about your career journey and everything you've learned so far what would you call it and why this is a great question um it's tough because I don't feel um, like I have enough to give the world to write a book. You know, it's quite a an egotistical question, I guess. But I guess I would call it no frills. And that's because as women, I often feel that we try to appease in the business industry. So I see a lot of the female grads coming in and I see that they're a little bit nervous of themselves. So maybe they, you know, I've done this as well before, giggle as they're sort of landing a point or try to try to sort of soften their points or become more suitable for people. Whereas in the reality, we shouldn't have to change who we are. If we're strong women, if we're assertive, if we're direct, if we're to the point that are all our strengths and we should nurture them and not add these frills to our personality to make us more palatable for other people. So it comes from, I guess, clothing, obviously, that we should be able to wear what we want. And that's always been, it's been existing in within the female business community for a couple of years now. But I think that whole no frills uh, mindset should be applied across everything. So our, our attitude, our manner, we should be able to be 100% our true self at work. And that should be good enough because we are intelligent. We are good enough and we deserve to be there. I love that. I love that. I love that. And what about you, Cass? What 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 book are you writing? Oh, I think I would call it Caterpillar to Butterfly. And I think because I have experienced some change, but I, 
at my core, I'm still the same person. So obviously the caterpillar, as it becomes a butterfly, it's still the same creature, but it's gone through a lot of change and it's grown. And as it's grown, it's become more beautiful. And I think just the kind of cocoon stage is like my learning stage. Okay, what is going to change? What is staying the same? And I think that's kind of been my university, I think. It's kind of been that learning, okay, from sixth form to now, what is changing? What am I keeping the same? What am I working towards? Kind of like that cocoon phase. And I think now I'm finishing university. I'm kind of, you know, coming out, butterfly. I know what I want to do. I know what I want to pursue as a job. Um, so I think that's kind of what I would call my journey so far. I love it. You're painting the picture for me. I'm seeing a picture and a book here. And our final question tell us what's in your knowledge stream what are you reading listening to or loving at the moment well I think this one is really interesting I think it's one of the questions I get asked the most um over the last six months um at some of the sort of recruitment or events we've been doing with students and the one sort of overarching point that I'd like to make on knowledge stream is it's so important to have a diverse knowledge stream so if you love books about the economy great but then try to listen to podcasts about sustainability or consumer trends or something different. Um, because I think we get, we naturally draw to books and pieces of information that fits in with what we're interested in already, but we're probably becoming masters of topics instead of having a wider understanding. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of an over- overarching point. I think is really important. Um, books that I'm listening to or podcasts that I'm listening to, sorry, how I built this. And why I love that one is it's um, uh, the interviewer talks to people that have started up their own companies, but each podcast is a different company. So even though it's a similar structure, you do get that variety of business understanding because one week you might be talking to a lady. Well, actually, the last one I listened to is a lady, black lady in America who set up a new lipstick um, company. And the whole point of it was she set up different lipstick colors that best for black women in business which actually I promise you I didn't plan that cast so it's just come to me um and then the next week he might talk to the person that started Spanx which is that tight sort of you know Cass is nodding um so how I built this is great because you get that diversity but you can subscribe to that one podcast um and then another book I've just started is called Invisible Women and it's how women because they've been absent from a lot of consumer studies and data research um, studies that they haven't been able to input women into how they build things. So if you think about the seatbelt, the seatbelt was only tested with men. It wasn't tested for women. That's why it goes straight across and sort of over our chest area. It's probably the least comfortable area you can put a seatbelt. So it just goes into all these different things. Um, So it's really interesting. Uh, You can probably tell my tendency is to listen to too many female things about females and business. So I need to get myself out of that. I don't think you listen to too many. For so long, it's been male dominated. So why not? True. True. How about you, Cass? What what are you listening to? Because hopefully I can write a few things down. (laughs) So I'd say, honestly, at my core, I'm not big on podcasts, but I have found a few that I really do like recently. So one is called The Mentor. And um, it's kind of like hosted by Sideman and Rick Lewis. And basically it takes on three young people. I think one is in sixth form, I think, and university age. And he kind of just mentors them. So across the weeks, he has certain discussions with them, really makes them dig deep. And it's beyond just, you know, your stereotypical 
what are your career goals? What's this? What's that? He really digs beyond the typical conversations and he forces them to look inside of themselves and say, okay, this is something that you want, but have you considered what this part of your character is going to contribute to that? Or have you considered working on this side of yourself in order to become better? And I think it's quite triggering if you were to ever get questioned the way he questions them because he really forces them to think beyond just your typical interview answers. Yeah, he goes beneath the surface, which I think is really, really cool. And even when he's interviewing them and kind of having that conversation with them, I kind of ask myself the same question. So the mentor I definitely would recommend. And another one, it's called To My Sisters um, and it's by Courtney Daniela and Renee uh, Kapuku. And basically... Um, they both went to Cambridge. One of them went to Harvard for her master's. And pretty much it's just kind of a conversation about black women, kind of talking about lots of different things from social media to owning businesses to bullying to investing, lots of different topics. And it's just kind of them, some of them they bring on um, people. Um, some of them is just kind of them talking. But I just love listening to them. And I remember watching their youtube videos that he did um together and actually i think renee went to oxford and she went to cambridge i remember watching their youtube videos when i was in sixth form and they kind of did some advice about how to get into um oxbridge the experience of black women at oxbridge and it made me feel like okay yeah i can apply and in the end i actually didn't end up applying to oxbridge because i wanted to do a more business focused course and they didn't have that i think it had more economics which is not what i wanted to do but Honestly, after watching their videos, I remember binge watching them at like 4am and I was like, I am going to apply because they can, I can. And I think it's just beautiful to have that sort of encouragement. And they definitely do do that through their podcast. So I definitely say they're one to listen to. I've written both of those down, Cass. So yeah, interesting. I love hearing what bit different people are listening and reading and, and watching, I guess, because it just, that's the whole cross-contamination, cross-fertilization is probably better than cross-contamination, um, and it enriches your mind, it enriches the soul, so yeah, it's great yeah. to hear. But I think that's it with all the questions. Thank you for listening to this episode. Since this is the growth season, we want you to reflect and grow with each episode. So, we've left some questions in the description curated to help you start to dream big and forge out your own path we'd encourage you to dig deep and reflect on them throughout the week be sure to follow yasmin casilda and bwp on our socials and see you next time